Hey, Katie. Hello, Ben. Hello. I was at the optometrist a couple days ago, uh-huh. and uh, I, I noticed that they were really quite inefficient at the way that they were doing things, so I was thinking of optometrist optimizations. Oh, yeah, that's that's not even a pun. That wasn't, a, that wasn't even good. I, I think I should have uh, you optimized my delivery a little bit more. Yeah, I think you failed to optimize this intro. Or is what just maybe happened. I should have optimized by not doing a pun at all. We should just start is this that... episode. We should all right, put yeah. everyone out of their misery here. All right. Linear digressions. You're listening to it. That's the first time I've, I've not said it in the normal order. Oh, you're listening to linear digressions? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of weird. I think that's but right. But it felt edgy. I feel edgy. Uh, good. I mean, this is going to be an edgy episode. We're going to talk about optimization <laughs> algorithms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, which are very interesting and super cool and, uh, you know, really uh, are m- more useful sometimes than I think they get credit for in uh, the data science scene. But, um, yeah, yeah, not to oversell it too much. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about optimization algorithms because I feel like an optimization, um, is kind of where you take your data science model. Like I imagine you build a machine learning model and it's going to give you some prediction about what the world is going to be like. And then usually what you want to do on the basis of that is take some action or make some decision. And optimization really deals with that second part of it of how do we take all the information that we have and and its uncertainties potentially mm-hmm. and turn that into like the best uh recipe that we can that we can make for what decision we're going to make yeah now as a as a programmer and i don't really do data science in my in my day job uh, but as a programmer there are a lot of optimizations that i'm often trying to think of right uh i mean one example would be something like Google Maps, where you're doing some kind of route finding, right? So uh, right now, I'm actually not at home. I'm at a friend's house. And when I head home, I'm going to ask Google Maps, hey, you know, how do I get home? And Google Maps is probably not going to literally go, like, imagine going down all the different streets until it finds a route, you know? It's probably going to say, okay, well, I know your home is in this general direction, so I'm going to check those streets first. I know generally it's it's more efficient to go on highways or freeways, so I'm going to kind of optimize uh, your route to likely hit one of those. And um, although it may not actually find the fastest, the, the totally fastest route, it's going to get me an answer much more quickly. And uh, also importantly, it's not going to cost Google a lot of computational cycles to to get me that answer. Yeah, so I think the Google Maps example is an interesting one. So let me let me grossly oversimplify it, and then we're going to work in a direction that takes it kind of more towards the real world. Right. So let's imagine that you were not a human who had to travel on roads, but instead you were a bird, right? And right. so you have to come up with some kind of uh, heuristic for what's the quickest way that you can get from the Facebook offices to your apartment in Campbell. And the correct answer, if you're a bird, you're not constrained to travel on the roads. And so it would just be a straight line, right? Well, I mean, if you ignore the curvature of the earth. Well, even if you take into account the curvature of the earth, you just make a great circle and then... Well, uh, okay, if you, if, if you also, want me to be pedantic... the curvature of the earth between... 
what like m- like menlo, menlo park, park and, and campbell it's <laughs> pretty yeah negligible. but if i started as a bird on the ground and i i ended on the ground then the curvature of the earth would actually it would put me a straight line would put me through the uh through the earth ever so that would be yeah let's i think we can make the flat earth (laughs) approximation here without losing too much sure sure okay too much uh, realism Um, flat earth straight line so my point is right is is uh is that the straight line is is the shortest and now let's imagine that you start to deviate from that path so you can imagine something that that there's a straight line but there's also kind of like you can bow out from that in one direction or another so that you can Mm -hmm. kind of go out and then you come back in so you start and end in the same place but you take a different path right and so each one of those paths that you can imagine and there's infinitely many of them Mm. is going to be some distance that's greater than the optimal distance and exactly how much greater it is is going to depend on the exact path that you take so if you take something that's really close to the the straight line and only bows out a little bit then it's only going to be a little bit longer but if you imagine some kind of crazy thing where you go way out over the ocean and then you come all the way back or you have something where you go out and you circle the world seven times and then you come back you know these are obviously going to be much much longer potentially definitely and so if you can imagine kind of hypothetically all the different paths from like just minor deviations to very extreme deviations and you're going to make a plot of what is roughly like the path that I've taken and how far is that distance then that graph is going to have a minimum the minimum is going to be the straight line distance between Menlo Park and Campbell and then there's going to be sort of all the way off to the left and all the way off to the right all these other paths that have distances that are longer so if you were to look at it it's going to look like kind of a bowl shape where the bottom of the bowl corresponds to the path that is the most direct, right? Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. And so then if you were to write some kind of mathematical function that describes the shape of that bowl, then you can actually take that function and plug it into something like differential calculus. And you can say what you want to find here is the bottom of this bowl is the minimum of this distance function. And so if you remember your high school calculus, high school calculus is all Mm -hmm. about finding what's the slope of um, a function at a given point. And so there's uh, a number of different types of optimization algorithms that are based on what we call gradients. And gradient is basically another word for the derivative. And so gradient-based methods, the way I always imagine them is you have a little ball and then you let it drop. And it's going to sort of roll down the hill And then it might kind of roll back up the other side a little ways, but eventually it's going to settle in that trough. And um, and so just using sort of the mathematics of derivatives, you can simulate that process in your optimization algorithm and it'll very quickly find what's the best option of all the different paths you can choose. All right. So that was you said that was a gradient. Yes. uh, Gradient based methods are usually the ones that you can think of as little balls rolling down the hill. Okay, got it, got and it. So you're finding say, that minimum. Yeah, is that gradient-based methods, the other thing that's kind of implied about them is that you have a well-defined mathematical function, and it's pretty easy for you to calculate the gradient at any given point. Um, yeah, and so yeah. depending on how complicated the math is of the of the function that you're trying to optimize, if you're lucky, this will be true, and there's a gradient that's well-defined, and you just kind of do a little bit of math, and you're there. But a lot of functions do not have well-defined gradients. And so now we're starting to move 
a little bit more into like the real world, the Google Maps world. Right, where all of the different possible paths to my house don't necessarily follow that bowl shape. The distribution doesn't necessarily follow that bowl shape. There may be like three paths that are uh, really, really optimal and all of the other paths are super not optimal. And so you end up with a, a totally different shape rather than a bowl. Right, so let's let's think of it now just to be totally clear. Let's say that what we're trying to find is not necessarily the shortest path, but the fastest path. And so mm -hmm. now that's going to be a function of usually things that are going to be shorter are going to be faster, but also routes that take you along highways or that avoid traffic lights. Those are going to give you kind of a premium as well. And so there's now we have a much more complicated function that it might say something like, well, we have the direct route that takes you on surface streets and that has the advantage of being shorter, but then you have all this, you have all this traffic and you have traffic lights and there's weird left turns that you have to deal with. And then there's this other route that is um, a little bit longer and it's a little more roundabout, but you can take much faster roads and right, between right. these two options, what should we do? And so that's not something that you can write that down as like a well-defined closed form mathematical function anymore that you can just take the gradient of. There's going to be weird little jagged steps and there might be also just random noise that gets mixed in. And, um, and we're starting to get into a regime where gradient-based methods aren't going to work as well anymore. So Katie, if I was working on Google Maps, though, I would want to store the distances of all of these roads as the amount of time it takes to traverse them rather than the actual number of miles, right? So like, if you're going on a, a long surface street that has a lot of stoplights, that's going to actually be represented in my system as being a lot longer than say the the actual geographically longer route that takes less to, less time to traverse uh right so that's a much more sensible way to represent it you're right you still have to make the choice of what what pieces to attach to each other and in what order to do it um mm -hmm. and so we're starting to get into a regime that reminds me a little bit like if we can change the scenario slightly to make it mm. a little bit truer to like some of the al the optimization algorithms that are or optimization scenarios that are very famous, um, we're starting to get a little bit closer to what is called the traveling salesman problem. Have you heard this one? Mm, I have heard of that one. So why don't you explain it then? Yeah, the traveling salesman problem is something that most people who code for a living know about because you because you see you it a lot interview. in you <laughs> yeah exactly interviews they're always talking about the travel that poor traveling salesman in interviews uh, and so the the um the problem is you are a traveling salesman and you need to visit all of these different points uh, often in the story it's a list of cities that you have to go and visit and you have a list of cities and you have the distances between each of the pairs of cities and you have to try and figure out what is the shortest possible route that you can take that visits every city exactly one time and then also returns you to the origin city at the end. So if you are a traveling salesman leaving your house uh, in, I, I don't know, Gainesville, Florida, and then you go off to Bronson and then you go off to some other you know town, obviously you're going to want to return home as well. So uh, this is kind of a problem that is widely renowned as being very difficult to solve. Mm -hmm. uh, right, yeah. And this is one of the problems where gradient-based methods classically fail because you 
don't have the option of kind of a continuous space that you can explore. So in the case of the bird that's trying to fly home from Facebook to Campbell, there's a, a fairly continuous spectrum of different paths that you can take that are each one is maybe only just a little bit different from its neighbors. But with the traveling salesman problem, it's much more discreet. So you bite off whole big pieces of this one after the other. Um, and moreover, the piece that you uh, bite off now then puts you in like a particular city, which then um, you have certain options for like where you can go from there. Um, and depending on what cities you've already visited, some of those options might be closed off to you. And so mm -hmm. there's this ordering factor about how easy it is to get to a certain place and then how easy it is to get it back out. And um, once you get back out, what are the places that you have available to you and how expensive are they to visit? And um, again, you don't have sort of this continuous space that you can optimize over, but instead there's all these discrete steps. Um, and so you don't have the advantage of having gradients to help you out. Another way of saying that uh, or visualizing it is that your granularity is very large. Whereas with the bird, your granularity is pretty much infinitely small because you can create paths that deviate infinitesimally from other points. Um, so your space is infinitely granular. You can, you can get really, really small there. Uh, with a traveling salesman problem, your chunks are larger and uh, they're irregularly distributed. The other thing that's interesting about this problem is that the, the worst case running time can be exponential. Uh, and it's, it's quite difficult to optimize this to be better than exponential. And then if you do optimize it, if you do manage to optimize it, your optimization might cut out really good solutions accidentally. Right. So there's, yeah, there's a lot that you said just there. So the first thing is mm -hmm. that, yeah, if you really want to solve, fully solve the traveling salesman problem for any given, you know, sequence of cities that, uh, or set of cities that you have to visit, you don't know the sequence of them yet, the ordering in which you visit them. That's what you're trying to solve for. Um, when you want to solve for that, the only way to fully solve it, so to find, to know that you've actually found the best one of all the possible options, is you look at every single option that's available to you. And like you said, that can grow to be exponentially large with the number of cities that you have to visit. So if you only have three cities, it's not a big deal. But if you have a hundred cities, then it starts to become very, very computationally expensive to fully explore that space. And so what very often we do for optimizing these kinds of problems, and there's there's a number of different kinds of optimization problems that have the same feature of traveling salesperson. Another one of these is the knapsack problem. This is very famous. You, you're going hiking and you have a knapsack and it can hold a certain number of objects and different objects might have different value to you. So a flashlight or a piece of rope might be really useful and a dictionary might be really not useful. And each one of those objects that you could put into it has a certain utility and it also has a certain amount of space that it takes up. So how do you maximize the amount of utility that you have given the space constraints? So that's another example that's kind of... Um, it's structurally it's a very different. Similar problem. Yeah, structurally different yeah. from a traveling salesperson, but it has sort of the same features. Um, so these kinds of algorithms, it's very expensive to guarantee that you've found the best solution of all the options out there. But what you can use are what's called heuristic search 
uh, or heuristic optimization algorithms that come up with a way of kind of exploring the space of options. You're not guaranteed necessarily to find the best option, or at least in order to have the guarantee that you find the best option, you would need an infinite number of, of uh, iterations, which is usually uh, we don't have time for that. <laughs> but so they, so they're not guaranteed to be perfect. They're not guaranteed to be the best, but they do have usually guarantees that they're going to be pretty good and that they will, or at least that they will not put you in like one of the worst spots probably. Um, and they'll run a whole lot faster. And so these heuristic algorithms are usually what we use to actually solve these problems in practice. Um, Cause we're kind of in the regime where, um, good enough is good enough and done is better than perfect. All right, Katie. So this is all very interesting, but we are, we are already pretty far into this episode. Uh, I think we've run out of time, but, uh, let's talk more about heuristic optimization algorithms in, uh, future episodes. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Cause there's a whole bunch of them and I want to have all the time in the world to figure out what is the optimal one. You're such a geek. I love it. <laughs> Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.